Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in recent weeks you've heard me tell you that numbers matter. You've heard me tell you that days matter. And today I'm here to tell you that words matter. Now, occasionally when we look at God's word, it's beneficial for us to look at the language it was originally written in, like Greek for the New Testament or Hebrew for the Old Testament, because sometimes our English translations don't do it justice, or because of how we can connect the same words to other parts of Scripture that don't use the same English word, but they do use the same Hebrew or Greek word. I'm not going to use any words today in any of those languages, But because I want to get the point across that words matter, I want to use one of the first lessons I learned while studying Greek. And that is, the order of words doesn't matter. In Greek, sometimes you find the subject of a sentence all the way at the end. And once you find it, then you can complete your sentence. Whereas in English, this doesn't work out as well because you could end up with a completely different meaning. For example, dog bites man is how we would order a sentence in English, and we know the dog is the subject. But in Greek, you might find dog at the end of the sentence, and if you just order the sentence by where the words appear, you end up with man bites dog, and have two completely different meanings. Words matter for us. And not just how we order them, but the actual words we use. In the Gospel reading for today, you have some examples of people coming to Jesus and saying... I will follow you. And it doesn't seem to turn out how you would expect it to. As Jesus and his disciples are traveling, someone says to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus then responds with, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The third person that's pointed out says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. To which Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Sandwiched in the middle of these two examples is Jesus telling someone to follow him, but them giving an excuse and reason why they can't follow immediately, like the third person. Now Jesus' answers to them might seem a little strange, but we have to understand his answers in the context of Luke's narrative. And Luke's made it very clear where Jesus is at at this point, and we heard it in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus has set his sights on Jerusalem, which means his focus is now on the cross. Each step is one step closer to his death, but each step is one step closer to forgiveness of sins for all people through his death. And that is on his mind as well. And the point that he's making here in his responses is that if you really want to follow him, it's going to take total commitment your entire life. And he just doesn't want just a piece of you. He wants the whole thing. So don't worry about your family. Don't worry about whether or not you have a place to stay. Don't worry about any work you're leaving behind. 
You're going to take up your cross daily and follow me. You're going to lose your life for my sake. And by losing it, you're actually gaining it. This is what he had said earlier in the chapter. Being a disciple of Christ is not an easy life, which is why the road is narrow that leads to eternal life. Now, we don't know the end of the story for these three men here. But remarkably, the Gospels never tell us about anyone offering to follow Jesus as their first interaction with him and then successfully becoming his disciple. In each case, Jesus seems to challenge their self-confidence. It's the ones we don't expect to be chosen by God that are the ones where Jesus initiates the call to discipleship. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the lowly fishermen, Matthew, the tax collector who steals from his own people, And in those instances, we see them get up and follow Jesus and leave everything else behind. We live in a day and age where it's hard to leave things behind and just follow Jesus. It's hard to not come up with excuses as to why we can't totally commit to Jesus for Christians and non-Christians alike. So let's talk about some of those reasons why people can't follow Jesus, can't come to church, and what our response is to that. In no particular order, though I could include more, here's my top 10 list of why people don't come to church. All reasons I've heard before. Number one, I can't come to church until I get my life together. This is similar to the two who gave excuses. Let me bury my dad first. Let me say goodbye to my family before I come. But this can also be seen as I'm a complete mess, and I need to not be a complete mess before God. Here's the reality. You'll never have your life completely together. It will never be perfect because you're not perfect. We're all sinners. Every single one of us here. We're all born with sin, and we sin daily in our thoughts, words, and actions. And that's part of our issue. We always think that there's something that we can do to make our lives right before God. But we stand before God as poor, miserable sinners who cannot save ourselves. We cannot get our life together on our own. And what we deserve for our sin is punishment. It's death. It's hell. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. God is the one who will get your life together. And he did that through Jesus' death and resurrection. He saves us. He takes your complete mess and he cleans it all up. He fixes it. He washes it clean with the blood of Jesus. Number two, I don't like the music. So the question is, why are we here? Are you here for a concert? Then sure, you probably aren't getting what you came for. Remember what I said at the beginning, words matter. This is crucial for worship, for why we are here. Worship is about receiving God's gifts. We hear the word of God preached in truth and purity with its focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness and salvation won for us. We have our sins forgiven in the words of absolution and the sacraments are rightly administered. We come to the Lord's Supper to receive the forgiveness of our sins, the strengthening of our faith, and eternal life that Christ won for us. 
In baptism, sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of all those who are baptized because the Holy Spirit creates faith. And this is important to understand, especially when we talk about music. So let's remind ourselves of the explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed, which deals with the Holy Spirit. It says, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. The music we have should reflect the message. Now, I'm not going to debate traditional or contemporary music. I'm going to debate words. But since contemporary music usually gets knocked for its words, let's talk briefly about some songs. The first is one that's called, I Will Follow You. Sounds similar to the two from the gospel. But on your own, no, you won't follow God. Here's another one, an older one that you might know. I have decided to follow Jesus. No, you haven't. You're confusing yourself with the Holy Spirit. And I'll use two examples uh, from our songs for today, songs that we've already sung. The first was, Lord, have mercy. The words say, with a doubting heart I follow the path of earthly wisdom. Yes, yes you do. And the next one is, how deep the Father's love. The words say, I will not boast in anything, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. Yes, as you should. Words matter. And if the song is telling you something that isn't biblically accurate, we shouldn't sing it, old or new. Number three, and these ones will go a little faster. I don't see the benefit. Then you don't really understand what church is about. So let me tell you. We receive the benefits and blessings from God that I just mentioned for those who believe. That's forgiveness, life, salvation. For those who don't believe, faith comes from hearing the word. If you don't have faith, you need the word. And where do you hear the word? Number four. If you know me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. No, we'd want you even more. Remember, Jesus wants you to know him and his forgiveness and his eternal life. Also, if you knew me, and what I've done, you wouldn't be worried. Number five, this is one of my favorites. The walls will collapse on me if I step foot in the building. Lightning will strike me down. Yes, because God wants to take your life the moment you set foot in a church. No, he wants to give you life. Number six, I don't like the teaching. I once had someone ask me if the church would ever change their beliefs to fit the views of the world, one of those being homosexuality. I'm not here to give you my words. I'm here to give you God's word. And God's word goes against many of the beliefs of the world. So yes, lots of people will not like the teachings of the church because it's not popular opinion. Unfortunately, we don't change God's word. God's word changes us. Number seven, I don't need to go all the time. What's the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. 
Are you holding the word of God sacred and gladly hearing and learning it if that's your attitude? And this isn't new either. The New Testament church had this issue, which is why you hear the writer of Hebrews say, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Number eight, you hear this one lots. The church is full of hypocrites, and there's always room for one more. Where else would you have them be? They are sinners and they need forgiveness, so there's no better place for them. Number nine, church is unfriendly, or it's very clicky. True, just like it's full of hypocrites. And how many stories do you hear about people here at church welcome someone they think is a visitor, only to find out those visitors have been members for years? I've been here for seven years, and I've heard multiple stories of this happening. This isn't cheers, Not everybody knows your name, though we should. So we will work to do better, because that's what a room full of sinners should do. But we don't always, because we're sinners, and we're lazy, and we're self-indulged, and we stick to our comfort zones and the people we already know. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to work in us, to work the fruit of the Spirit in us that you heard in the New Testament reading the fruit of love, to love others because we have first been loved and to be kind and welcoming and friendly to everyone. Number 10, all they care about is your money. Sure, some do. But again, we're all sinners and sin happens even in the church. But all of life's blessings come from God. They are a gift from him. So it's not really your money. It's his He's the owner, you're the manager. And giving to the church helps further his, the owner's, work. Also, what's more important than your money is your salvation. Because we're talking about eternal life. And we want that for all people. That's what we care about. Because God wants that for all people. In conclusion, the church is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Because God has called all sinners to himself. He has called them together to give them his gifts. His Holy Spirit, who creates faith, works in the word and sacraments and calls us to follow Christ. His word, the life-saving, life-changing message of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, because words matter. His sacraments baptism in the Lord's Supper, to forgive us and assure us that all who believe have eternal life. This is most certainly true. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.